Well, I left last Sunday, uh, left the uh, second service, went home, got hit with the flu, been down pretty much all week, but I'm back to preach, but not to hug any of you. So don't be offended if I walk past you and do one of those things, because this is something that I don't want to spread, even though I have heard sharing is caring. In this case, uh, it's not. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine, verses 10 through 16. We continue to move verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount, and we have come to a very familiar section We're going to stand, if you're able to stand with us for the reading of the section, let your light shine as we touch on the last of eight Beatitudes that Jesus talks about, and then two metaphors to tell us who we are. Blessed, Matthew 5.10, are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men." You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. You can have a seat. Father, thank you so much for this precious congregation. We do rejoice in what happened yesterday as we were a light Uh, in Riverside, across from Planned Parenthood, Lord. We were a witness. We uh, made a very tangible step to be salt and light, to go beyond the walls of the church. As blessed, wonderful building as this is, this is not the end of our faith. It doesn't uh, start and stop when we come through these doors, no. Rather, you've called us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Would you help us to understand what that means, how we can apply the word of God, and may you be glorified in our hearing and our response to it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Some years back, my family had a chance to host uh, some kids from the African Children's Choir. These are kids that travel from their homeland. They're usually eight to 10, maybe 11 years old, And they form a choir and they sing wonderful praise songs with energy and these bright smiles. And one of the things that happens is uh, if you host them as a church, you get to host some of the boys uh, or girls at your house. So we had three boys, so we decided to take three boys from the African Children's Choir and they spent the weekend with us and it was great. The boys were younger and so we'd get in the car and we drove to get some ice cream and They'd be in the back seat of the car singing because they were part of a choir and they would sing something like this. He is your light. He is my light. And we're going down the road just, yeah, come on. He is your light. He is my light. So every time we'd go do something, get them ice cream or whatever, they would bless me. They would call me Uncle Michael, and they would say, Uncle Michael, thank you for driving us to get ice cream, and may the Lord richly bless you. And I would look at my own children. (laughs) And I think you can fill in the blanks. Just in regard to what Shane said, I do prefer worship leaders at the front. But never mind, that's, that's a different story. So, let your light shine. A very familiar text to all of us, and it comes on the heels of what we call the Beatitudes. We uh, studied these last time we were together, which was actually two Sundays ago. Just look back for a second. Very unusual things that Jesus talks about as blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the principle, the promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. The principle of the promise. Blessed are the gentle. They shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. And then we left off at verse nine, leaving this eighth beatitude. And it is rather shocking. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, each time we ran into the word blessed, we talked about the fact that the Greek word is makarios. And that word has the idea not so much that you're uh, giggling or you know, you're manifesting happiness, but there's an inward contentedness or a calm knowing that with each principle, there's a promise. And there's a blessing attached to each one of these. But this last one is probably the hardest one to deal with. Blessed are those who've been persecuted, notice, for the sake of righteousness. What is persecution? Persecution literally means to feel threatened and then have a sense of needing to flee because of the threat itself. And Jesus said, when you represent the king and the kingdom, some of you are going to experience persecution. Now, if I asked you to raise your hand and I, I said, hey, how many of you have experienced some form of persecution? Perhaps a good number of hands would go up. Why would we be persecuted? Well, Jesus makes it clear that there's a couple of requirements. Look at verse 10. If you're gonna be persecuted, let it be for the sake of what is right. An earlier uh, beatitude in verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's the bottom line. When you serve the king in the kingdom, you will have a deep hunger inside of you for what is right. You will desire his will happen on earth as it is in heaven. You will have heaven's heart because you will be linked with the king having been born again to that living hope and you will hunger for what is right in the world. Now there's a lot wrong in the world right now. And yesterday was about us taking a stand as a fellowship and saying this is wrong. Now we're not just saying it's wrong. We, we wanna offer hope to people. We offer the gospel, we offer compassion, yet we are not gonna say something's not wrong. Have you ever been persecuted for the sake of desiring to see what is right? This sermon is really about righteousness. In fact, if you look a little bit down, Jesus says these words in verse 20. I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not experience this kingdom promise. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, is Jesus preaching salvation by works? I don't think so. In verse 17, just so we've got it correct, he says, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, to fulfill all righteousness, which is the exchange between he and John the Baptist. Let it be so that we might fulfill all righteousness. What is Jesus saying? He'd come to die for the people. He'd become to live the perfect life that they could never live. But just on a plain reading of the scripture, here's what Jesus is saying. Their righteousness over there, see the scribes, see the Pharisees? This is their righteousness. It's all outward. They fast twice a week to check a box. They tithe their mint, dill, and cumin to check a box. They make lengthy prayers out in public to check a box. They love greetings in the marketplaces to be called rabbi, to get the best seats in the synagogues. I tell you, they have their reward in full. They sound the trumpet when they give alms to the poor. Hey, see what I did? See the bone that I threw to that poor guy over there? They are always doing what they do for show. And I tell you, they have their reward in full. Now, we do our good works so that people might bring glory to God. We'll see that at the end of the sermon, not glory to us. And I know my own heart, and I'm sure that you can 
uh, resonate with this, that we can all be really good at fooling most of the people most of the time. I know the Christian lingo. I know, you know, how to walk into the church building. I know a good number of the songs. I know what a Christian's supposed to look like and talk like. But if the moment I hit the door, what I've manifested is simply to impress you, God's not impressed. And that is just a righteousness just to impress people. A kingdom righteousness will be a righteousness that flows deep within the heart of a believer in Christ who desires to live the right way because they know the king, not because they're checking boxes. This world, please hear me, is filled with people who have checked religious boxes but do not know the Lord. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, you don't have the love of God in you. Everything that you do, you do to impress people and you have your reward. Now some of the Pharisees obviously did come to Jesus and did have an encounter with the Lord, but many of them would not humble themselves. Paul goes through his list in Philippians 3. He says, according to the outward working of the law, I was blameless. I did this. I was born in this family. You know, I had these kinds of accomplishments. On and on he goes. But then he says, but I didn't, essentially I didn't know the Lord. I, all that stuff is rubbish. It's religious rubbish compared to knowing him. I think what Jesus is simply saying is this. When you know me, this desire for what is right will flow from your heart. Take a look at Matthew 23. This is uh, not a politically correct sermon that Jesus is about to give, Matthew 23. But just to show you the problem, John 7, 7 says that people hated Jesus because he exposed their evil deeds, John 7, 7. That's a paraphrase. Here's Matthew 23, 23. Take a look. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you could say actors, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, Matthew 23, 23, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the Torah or the law. What are they? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites or actors, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Jesus, back to Matthew 5, is saying that true righteousness is going to flow from within a person that's been changed, born again, and will flow out. And one of the results of Jesus' life, of course, he attracted many, many people to him. Many people flocked because he was healing. He went around doing good. He was full of compassion. Never did a man speak like him. But other people were not happy with Jesus. In fact, that is why Jesus ended up on the cross. It was God's divine plan. However, we know that with a certain group of people, he was not popular because he exposed who they really were. And it was the religious leadership when Pilate, the Roman governor, was trying to let Jesus go that stirred the crowd and got Jesus condemned. Again, it was God's divine plan, but you get my point. So there were certain people that persecuted Jesus. They pursued him. They even attempted on a few occasions to kill him or stone him. Persecution is one of the surest and most tangible evidences that you're a Christian. And all God's people said, say what? Oh, it's true. Because persecution, if it happens for the right reason, aligns you with Christ. Here's the right reasons. It should be for the sake of righteousness. Verse 10, look at verse 11. 
And it should be on account of Jesus. That's the end of verse 11. Praying that my voice will hold up here. It's on account of me. So if you get persecuted for what is right, you take a stand for what is right in your family, your company, your neighborhood, dot, 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 then you're blessed. If you get persecuted because of your association to Jesus Christ, you are blessed. Oh, here comes Christian girl, Christian boy. <laughs> yeah, here they go, Holy Joe. I, it's, it's the Christmas party. They're probably gonna wanna talk about Jesus. <laughs> There's a sweet lady that attends here. She came up to me a couple weeks ago. Sweet uh, sister in the Lord, and I'm not sure if she's here today. She goes, but she goes, Pastor Michael, I appreciate your preaching, and, and you're, you're funny, and funny noises come out of you as well. <laughs> and I wasn't quite sure how to take that. She goes, you know, you're little. <laughs> and, and I was like, you like those? Don't encourage me. But anyway. Conversely, you can avoid much persecution if you avoid much righteousness. Conversely, you can avoid persecution if you stay in the closet as a Christian. If nobody knows who you are and you're laying low, then you'll probably avoid most of it. But if you are willing to step out and align yourself with the king and say, here I am, Lord, use me, you can expect some persecution. You say, well, in what form might it come? Well, we live in the West, right? And we know that our country is teetering and we're kind of, many of us are wondering, are we going to have a revival? Are we going to go down the abyss? It seems like it could go either way right now. But here's what we need to see. Most of the persecution, verse 11, will come via insult and it will be all kinds of evil spoken and it will be spoken against you falsely. Do not claim that you're being persecuted if you're late to work every day. You get there 20 minutes late, the boss reprimands you, writes you up, and you're like, I'm being persecuted. No, you ain't. You being late. And your light isn't shining so well if you're claiming that your tardiness is persecution. It's not. But if people have to make up stuff about you and verbally abuse you, most of us in this room, and I'm not saying that some of you haven't maybe been threatened physically, but in the West, for the most part, where we stand right now, this moment, persecution probably will be verbal in the form of insult, in the form of nasty words, in the form of a social media post trying to paint you as though you were an idiot. Although the country was built on Christian principles, the church started hospitals, orphanages. Most of the good done around the world is a result of a Christian church being salt and light in the world. Never mind that. Some of the most uh, informed scientists of all the ages are believers. Never mind that. They will throw insults at you. And this is the way that the enemy tries to silence Christians by people chirping at you so that you don't want to talk anymore or people making false accusations against you. If it's happened to you, welcome to the club. In fact, I would say to you, you're in really good company because Jesus says that they persecuted the prophets in the same way that were before you. In fact, he says the response to this persecution is really the essence of what blessedness is. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, are you saying, Jesus, that someone runs me down at the office and it's the lunch hour, and I walk out the door going, thank you, Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I usually don't respond that way. The persecution is not fun. The promise is what we hold on to. 
Nobody wants to be disliked by a coworker or a family member. So that each time you walk in the room, you feel like you're the joke, right? And maybe you're in this situation right now. You've, you've stated that you're a believer, you've stated it clearly, and you walk into the room and there's some snickering going on. <laughs> there's those noises again. But you know what? Some, sometimes the snickering is only the surface hiding the real issue. I, I've shared the story before. I'll share it again. Alistair Begg said that he, he knew of a, a young man at a company who had become a Christian and he had decided to take a stand and his friends were constantly going out to these gentlemen's clubs, not filled with many gentlemen. And he had become a, a believer and he decided to get serious and he said, I'm not going to those places anymore. And his friends mocked him. It was a Friday afternoon. Hey, we're, we're going to the place. You coming? No. I'm not going to those places anymore. I'm not gonna dishonor my God. I'm not gonna dishonor my wife. Okay, okay. You know, all of that. Over the weekend, one of those friends called the Christian on the telephone, said, I just found out that my wife is gonna have a baby girl. I wanna know why you don't go to those places. Do you see what happened? A little ridicule in the moment, but what did it produce? A person who was thinking. Here's a person that doesn't go with the flow. Why don't they go with the flow? Could you handle a little bit of persecution if you saw it as an open door? Could you handle a little bit of persecution knowing that your reward in heaven is great because Daniel got persecuted and Isaiah got persecuted and Jeremiah got persecuted and Nehemiah got persecuted and I could go on and on, right? You guys know that the prophets were not always the most popular dudes in town. They'd often show up at a place, Isaiah was promised that every sermon you give, no one will listen to you. What a glorious calling. You walk into the first place, good morning, good to see you all, here's my message. I'm about to speak and none of you will listen to a word that I have to say. Have a nice day. And then you go on to the next place. And some of the, the ends of those men are recorded in Hebrews 11. And it, and it isn't pretty. If they were only living for this life, well, then they would do whatever they could to wiggle out of it. But that wasn't the case. Notice in verse 12, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because of the reward, not because of the persecution. And because the disciples in context were now the voice, the prophetic voice on the earth. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Suggests that now you are the prophetic voice. Guess who the prophetic voice is today in our culture? Just look around because... They're right next to you. That's what Jesus has called us to do and to be. Take a peek at Matthew 10 quickly. Here's something that Jesus preached to his disciples. I think you'll be able to see whatever else you think about the context of this passage that it is definitely addressed to the first century apostles. He says, 1017 of Matthew, beware of men for they will deliver you up to the courts scourge you in their synagogues, Matthew 10, 18. You shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, don't become anxious about what you will speak for it shall be given you in that hour what to speak. It's not you who speak, but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child Children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated on all on account of my name, by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in this city, this is the essence of what persecution is. You feel threatened, so you flee. Flee to the next. 
For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore, do not fear them, for there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Don't worry about it because everything is gonna be exposed. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Yet none of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You're of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Back to Matthew 5. Not easy words, but Jesus is saying, if you're gonna align with the king and the kingdom, you will get positive responses from many as Jesus did. People flocked to him. Motives obviously did vary. But there were some who wanted to silence him. And that's because he exposed who they really were. The kingdom principle, the kingdom promise. Persecution is light and momentary, and it's producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporary, the things which are not seen are eternal. Spurgeon says, our joy and gladness are to exceed all ordinary bounds when we are honored with the decoration of the iron cross and the collar of SS or savage slander that comes against us. So the apostles get persecuted in Acts chapter five and they rejoice for the privilege of being persecuted for the sake of the king and the kingdom. Imagine such a thing. Imagine that in the week ahead, you might say, you know, Lord, if I do get persecuted at the office today, I'm going to have the greatest day ever and rejoice and be glad. No? <laughs> I see you guys looking at me like, no, I don't. But this is why the kingdom is so different. Let's move into the metaphors now. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless or lost its saltiness, New King James, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Two metaphors after the promise of persecution. You are the salt of the earth. This is not an imperative. He's not saying, okay, wake up and be salty. He's saying, rather, this is who you are. It's an indicative it means this is just simply who you are because you know the king. You are the salt of the earth. By the way, you're not just the salt of Corona, his audience there. You're not just the salt of Galilee or Judea or Jerusalem. You are the salt, look at your Bible, of the earth. The whole earth needs the salt of the church. Amen? What does salt do? Well, if you've ever read sections on these sermons, Salt is a preservative in the ancient world. They salted meat. They didn't have refrigeration. Salt can produce thirst. Salt was added to sacrifices. You can do a whole volume on salt. But Jesus is not talking about any of that. He's talking about salt as flavor. Amen? How many of you like a little salt on your food? Raise up your hand. Confession is good for the soul. I have a family member who is so enthralled by salt that this individual will salt things that do not need salt. <laughs> However, on the reverse side of that, have you ever tried to eat unsalted potato chips? All God's people said, yuck. 
unsalted peanuts? That should be a mortal sin. (laughs) Unsalted french fries? Oh, no. Have you ever, in love, loosened the top of the salt shaker so that your friend... (laughs) That could be too much salt. Jesus is saying that salt adds flavor or it leaves a taste in the mouth. Just so you know that we're on the right track, look at verse 13. If salt becomes tasteless, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the savor of believers that each one of us, when we are living for Christ, will leave a taste in the mouth. And in this case, it will be a pleasant taste just like salt added to fries or whatever else you want to talk about, can add flavor. It can make something better. Amen? Sometimes you get a bowl of soup and you're like, this needs a little bit of salt, and you salt it and it tastes better. When Christians are doing what we're supposed to do, the world is better. Amen? Amen. Salt is a metaphor, note takers, for influence. You might want to write that down. Salt equals influence. And when we're influenced and leaving a good taste in people's mouth, as it were, what kind of taste? A taste of kindness, a taste of compassion. Taste and see, taste, salt, see, light, both metaphors. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How would, how would someone know that the Lord is good? They'll get a taste of your life. They'll get a taste of your family. They'll get a taste of the moral beauty that you've uh, embraced as a believer. You know what I'm saying? They get a taste of your love. And they'll go something like this. Wow, that's different. And it's good. You're not just the salt of Corona. You're not just the salt of Galilee. You're the salt of the earth. But what happens if salt loses its saltiness? Do you go like this? You know, this salt needs salt. That's a contradiction in terms. If you have a salt shaker filled with salt that's unsalty, you're probably going to do what? Toss it because if if salt isn't salty, then it isn't worth anything. You could throw it on the road and it could be end of verse 13, trampled underfoot by men and apparently the salt of the ancient world, if it came in contact with other chemicals of the earth, it would lose its saltiness. Kind of an interesting connection. We come in too close of contact with the things of the world, we lose our saltiness. Some years ago, I talked to an elder of a church He was speaking about a Christian leader, an extremely prominent, uh, amazing preacher who got himself in some trouble. He was in a compromised situation. And unfortunately, it stumbled his ministry. This is many, many years ago. He was probably one of the leading voices in the Christian world in terms of teaching and authority And this elder said to me, how do you make the salt salty again? Do you understand what he was saying, brothers and sisters? It's hard to get it back once it's been compromised. And Jesus is basically saying this. Your influence in this world will be a result of who you are. You don't have to produce it. You don't have to wake up tomorrow morning and say, oh, Lord, uh, I just need to be salty. No, it's more like this. Your saltiness will be a direct connection to your link with the king and the power of the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon puts it this way. There is a secret something, which is the secret of believers' power. That something is savor or taste. It's not easy to define it, but yet it is absolutely essential for usefulness. When it is there, it impacts the world and the world notices. 
Colossians 4, 6 puts it this way. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Our lives hopefully will get people asking questions about our link to the king, our spiritual diet. Everybody with me? And it will produce a savor that will make an impact. So pass the salt. That's all I can say. <laughs> Next verse. Second metaphor, you are the light of the world. I find it amazing that Jesus, just like he said of salt, this is what you are. He says of light, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Oh, he is. But his light has become my light, as those boys in the African children's choir were singing. We can be a light to others around us. Light equals visibility. Salt influence, light visibility. Notice the, the metaphor. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A few years back, my mom told me that she discovered uh, where our family hails from in Italy. If you didn't know, most of you know, we're an Italian family. And she showed me a picture of a city on a hill. And it was this beautiful city in Italy. The name escapes me at the moment. And it was literally a city on a hill. It's on my bucket list to go and have some pizza pie or some linguine or something, right? But it looks so amazing and inviting. Think about the metaphor. The metaphor is not of one individual standing on a hill with a candle or a phone. It's a city. It's a community. It's many lights coming together to shine for the Lord. It's the church, amen? It's the putting together of the body of Christ in such a way that we shine, not just as lights of Capernaum or Galilee, but you're the light of the whole world. The world needs our light. The brighter the light, the farther it will penetrate the dark recesses of our world. Would you hold your place in Matthew? Turn to Isaiah 42. As you turn there, I want to show you a prophecy about the Messiah, but I want to give you some good news. You ready for some good news? Here's the good news. As much as we can talk about the problems in the world and in our country, I want you to think from the time that this sermon was first preached, how far has the gospel gone out into the world? Do you know that Revelation 6 says that when we appear before the Lord, whatever the timing of Revelation 6 will be, there will be people there from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The gospel from this little area of Galilee has permeated much of the known world. China, India, you can think of uh, places all over Europe. We can go around the globe. Yes, is there a portion of the world that's not reached yet? They call it the 1040 window. Yes, but a good portion of the world has been reached. Praise the Lord, the light is going out. And I mean going out in the best sense, not flickering out, but going out, permeating dark land after dark land where people sat in the darkness of witchcraft, craft, sat in the darkness of, you know, whatever you want to talk about. The light of Christ came. The grace of God, amen? That, look around the room. That's why there's so many different variables here in this room. We come from different nations, different backgrounds. The gospel has done its job. The light has gone out. Look at this prophecy about the Messiah. Isaiah 42, one. Behold my, spirit, uh, who, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 42.2. He will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. 
He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. Note, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit, spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will also hold you up by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. To do what? To open blind eyes, just like Jesus told Paul he would do. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and, all, and those who dwell on them. It should amaze and humble us. And it, it's not surprising back to Matthew 5 and we'll finish it because of the power of our God. But the gospel has permeated the entire world. And I use the entire world in quotes. I realize there's some unreached people groups, but you guys know what I'm saying? Christian uh, radio, Christian television, missionaries, the gospel light is going out. And that's something to rejoice in. And I don't think we think about it enough, frankly. This promise has been largely fulfilled in 2,000 years of church history. Are we done yet? No. Do we have more nations to reach? Yes. But the gospel powerfully has moved towards the ends of the earth. And that is a praise. Amen? It's a good time for a hallelujah right there. Matthew 5, 15. Now Jesus is walking out the light metaphor We'll just tackle these last couple of verses. He says, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket or a bowl. You don't, you don't light a, a lamp at your house and then throw a blanket over it. You light it, you put it on the lampstand, and what happens? It gives light to all who are in the house. Right now, you're a solo Christian. Your spouse is not a believer your light's still going. They may not like it. They may wear sunglasses when they're around you, even indoors. I don't know. But your light is shining to the house because it's who you are, amen? Jesus is not saying, okay, be the light. No, he's saying, you are the light. My presence in you is going to shine and you will appear as lights in this world it's a perverse and wicked world often manifesting itself in those things. And so Jesus sums it up with these words. Let your light shine before men. That they, let it shine before men in such a way that they may see visibility, see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Your light if you're taking notes, equals your good works. That's what Jesus just said. I'm not making that up. Your light is your good works. And they are to be seen by people and they will bring a response. What are good works? Do you know that this phrase, good works, you, you're not gonna see it too many times in the New Testament, just a handful of times. What, what are the good works that might convey the light of the kingdom to people? In Matthew 25, we won't go there, you all know it. Jesus says, I was sick and you came to me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or naked or, you know, come to you when you were sick? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. Amen? Amen. These are some of the good works. Good works are just simply that, good things that you do in the name of Christ that will associate you with Christ. 
He went around doing good, Acts 10, 38. Healing those who were oppressed by the enemy. Touching people, showing compassion. These are the good works of the church. We don't do them to impress people. We do them because we can't help but be salt and light. And when people see your good works, we'll put aside the negative response. We already tackled that. What will they do? When they see your good works, they see your light, they see that you're salt, they will glorify your Father who's in heaven. What does that mean? Well, it could be like Nebuchadnezzar when Daniel was in his court and Nebuchadnezzar said, the God of Daniel, and he began to exalt that God, or the true God. Was Nebuchadnezzar converted? That's another sermon, we don't know. But he glorified God, he gave God praise. But many scholars believe that glorify your Father in heaven is shorthand for salvation. I take you to the crucifixion scene. Jesus has been responding to the insults and praying for those who crucify him. He's on the cross in his dying moments. He, he uh, gives his spirit to the hands of his father and the Roman centurion says, surely this was the son of God. Many believe that was a statement of saving faith. Here's the point. How many of you could say that you are sitting here today not just simply because you heard the gospel, but because you saw the gospel. I want you to raise up your hand. If a relationship brought you to the Lord, raise up your hand right now. Would you keep it up? Everybody look around just for a second. How many of you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ because you saw the gospel in someone's life, family, marriage, ministry, now, yes, the gospel has power when it's heard, no doubt, but it has, let's just call another layer, when it's seen. Amen? What does that mean for us right now? We're about to go out. You, you guys are here for a couple more minutes, and you're going to go out into that world, right? And you're going to be on mission. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The question is just to let it shine. Well, how do I do that? You go around doing good. And when people see your good works, and yes, should you preach the gospel to people? Yes. It's not an either or deal. But when people see the good that you do because you belong to the God who is good, they will taste something. They will see something and they'll go, hmm, Tell me why you do this or don't do that. And then you can say, let me tell you the good news. God so loved the world. My father so loved the world. He gave his son. That whoever believes in him won't die without him. They won't be spiritually dead. They'll live. And back in 1995 or whatever your story is, I came to life. There was a lady at the office who prayed for me. There was someone who invited me to a Bible study. There was a, 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 a man in our neighborhood who had a marriage like I had never seen before. I come from brokenness and a mess. And he lived the gospel in front of me. And I wondered, what's that all about? And who is this guy? And what's going on here? And I came to glorify my father who's in heaven. He's my father now. He could be your father too. You with me? Let your light shine. Father, thank you for these moments that we've shared together. Ushers, you can go ahead and come forward and we'll start passing out the elements. Thank you for this moment, Lord, that we have to think about the price that you paid, your, your goodness manifested at the cross your holiness, the power of God through the resurrection. We remember the good you did for us, Lord. The light you are. And I just pray that as we come to the table of God, we'd be filled afresh with kingdom power,
This church has done an amazing job of impacting the, the world through so many different ministries and through the individual lives here. And collectively, we are a city on a hill. And Lord, I pray that more and more that light will permeate our community and our country. We need it so desperately. Give us wisdom in the days ahead, but also help us to realize who we are and help us continue to see the impact of the good works that you're doing in us and through us, Lord. May it always bring you glory and you alone receive the glory, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Just keep your heart bowed for a moment. If you've not met the king, you didn't realize maybe how much he loved you, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that good works don't save you. You're saved by grace through faith. Good works will flow from a saved heart. So don't get that reversed. Right now in this moment, you must be saved the same way all of us are saved, by God's grace, through the finished work of Christ. And each one of us have to have a moment when we simply say, Lord, I, I see it. Be my father. Thank you for sending your son. Make me part of your kingdom. Fill me with your light. I turn away from the darkness of my sin, pray it if it's you. I'm sorry for it. I turn from deception and even religious performance and I turn to the living God. I know all things are open before you, Lord. So I'm gonna come in humility. Maybe for some of you, you're coming back. I'm, I'm gonna come home in repentance. But I thank you for the light of hope, the light of Christ. I'm sure the, the Lord can fill in the blanks for you, but just continue to seek his face. And for all of you who are the precious people of God, as we come to his table, I pray that you'd be blessed and encouraged and refreshed.